Welcome to another episode of the Programmatic Digest podcast. I am so, okay, let me be honest here. I'm hella excited about this episode because we have my favorite clients on the call. One of my favorite clients on the call, I'm going to say, because I don't want nobody to be mad at me. Um, but we have a special, special conversation today because we actually found our, each other on TikTok. I was a big fan of your TikTok. So before we even going to talk about TikTok... <laughs> <laughs> Welcome, Jillian. Welcome, Jessica from Above the Fold. How are you lovely ladies doing today? Oh, thank you. We're yeah. doing great. Yeah. I think it's so funny. You found us on TikTok. <laughs> we're such nerds on there. I know. <laughs> well, we were big fans of yours for long before that. So when you commented on my TikTok, I kind of had a fangirl moment. So. <laughs> Here I was having a fangirl moment and you were, uh-huh. it wasn't, it was destiny at this point. Right. right? Yes. <laughs> So, so we're going to talk about, you know, what lends you into the field today. We're going to talk about programmatic advertising, some do's and don'ts, but we're really going to focus on your journey because I think it's so inspiring and aspiring for some people. Um, so let's hop into your introduction. How about Julian, you start, give us your, your quick, like two to three minutes, who Julian is, how you landed into this magnificent industry and then like what like what what is your why like who are you okay well I'll start with just my professional journey I'm definitely a marketing nerd since I was a 14 or so I had my first marketing class said I'm going to do this this is what I'm going to do digital was not a thing then this was like in the 90s (laughs) so um I you know I got into DECA which is a is like a a marketing club and started doing competitions. And, you know, I went to study marketing in college and um, I studied abroad a lot. So I thought I was going to go into the international marketing space, but um, I had an idea because of the study abroad. like, I wanted to start like a website that helped colleges market their, their programs to students. And so I did a business plan and found a company in DC that would kind of, um, helped me build that. So I moved to DC from Utah and built, built this company for about, man, about six years, four to five, four to six years. can't remember <laughs> exactly, but we built up like a website we, and we also did email marketing. So I got into the digital space a little bit there, but this was like in 2004. Um, so there was really wasn't a lot of digital marketing going on. Um, but I just got my feet wet in, into that. Um, and then I went to get my international MBA at University of Denver and still was doing more of like traditional marketing studies. Um, but I did a case competition for a digital um, website and really loved what they were doing. They were doing like online reviews and, and advertising, uh, but they're more, and then they're, they had an agency as well. So it was more of like an SEO organic company. Yeah. And I joined them as the first employee after my MBA. And I had the entrepreneurial bug, but was too scared to do it on my own, yeah. basically. So I joined as a first employee, you know, I was going to help build that up. And for the next five years, I helped them build, I helped build this agency nice. to about 15 people. Um, and we were full service digital marketing. So we didn't really do any paid, like we outsourced some PPC, but I became an expert at SEO and um, organic social, et cetera. So, um, so I've been in this small business startup for a while, always being like the first employee. And I, I, and then I had my first kid, I had a six month old baby and, um, the company in Denver decided to kind of sell off and do some other things. So I, um, my husband and I were like, we're, he's from Philadelphia. So we started looking at jobs all over the U S and I got a job back in Utah with Rakuten advertising, mm-hmm. which was a huge international agency. Yeah. Um, and I got put in the programmatic display team as an account manager. They, so they just <laughs> dropped you in. The yeah. <laughs> she looks like she can't figure it out. Boop. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Honestly, I think that's really how it went. Yeah, I think (laughs) it was very rare to have programmatic experience. So I I literally learned there from the ground up. Um, You know, you start getting retargeted and check ads and learn ad (laughs) tags and the tech side of it. Um, The realest conversation. 
Yeah. <laughs> I moved up pretty quickly there and I joined the um like integrated marketing because they did they did this programmatic display, paid social, affiliate, and paid search. And so I worked with some of the biggest clients that were doing all of those channels. And I really got into like how we can prove out performance. So we had, they had an attribution tool. Mm -hmm. So I really use like fractional attribution to show programmatic lift. And I I really got to love and love that and see how programmatic specifically was so integral in growing these businesses. Mm -hmm. Um, So I met Jessica at Rakuten so she can tell her whole story. Um, She left and took the big leap into entrepreneurship. I stayed on another year and then I went on as a VP of, of operations at a small agency. I wanted to get back into the small agency space. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. they got acquired, of course, like three months after I started. So that whole entrepreneurial <laughs> journey was cut short, but I learned a lot about process efficiency, managing um, growth because we did grow really quickly. I was there for one year and then Jessica kept knocking on my door, come over, <laughs> to, come over to above the fold, come to above the fold. And so finally I was like, you know what? She's offering me partnership to build this company. She'd done a lot of the really hard work. So, which was what was very scaring me about starting. So thankfully she kept at it. And I took that leap over here, um, a year and a half ago now. And a CMO and partner. And so we've been building this programmatic company since. And or she'd started it before, but I'm here. So it's and been I am so, so incredibly lucky to work with this lady. She obviously, <laughs> you heard her background. She's amazing. And I literally did stalk her for a long time to come work with me. <laughs> no, we are really, really good friends too. Um, so I'm lucky to be her friend too. Yeah. That is so interesting. Um, I think we have some similarities, Jillian, because I always wanted to be in marketing mm-hmm. from a younger age because my mom was working as a, I don't know, VP of marketing, director of marketing, whatever the, the title was for airline yeah. company. And so, yeah. you know, back in the days they had suits, red lip, <laughs> like, you know, big earrings, bangles and yeah. stuff like that. <laughs> and so, and once... I think once a month or once a quarter, she would have to fly to Brussels where they were headquartered and she'll have like her, her really nice, like, you know, handbag and the big board, like in Mad Men, right? I mean, it was early 2000s. Oh, yeah. oh, I love that show so you much. Know, it's like, she still had her board and she had like a lot of graph. And I was like, that's badass and sexy. I was like, I want to <laughs> do marketing. And that's how I started. That's how I started. And I also yeah. always landed in agencies where I was one of the first trader yeah wow one of the girl always always and so I did help build some of that department or at least trained a lot of people after that uh, Mm -hmm. which I discovered I really love so I think it's it's fun really it's fun it's really interesting so Jessica tell us a little bit about um, your background yeah so I actually in, if we're going back to high school, I Julia, mean, you have to start from you like, go way the back. Group. You have to start. Like when was I wanted to be day? a journalist. Um, <laughs> oh, cool. I, yeah, I really wanted to be a journalist, which is kind of where getabovethefold.com comes from. Um, it's like it's a newspaper term. You know, you want to be above the fold in the paper, but that's kind of my journalistic, you know, background coming out. I was the editor of the paper in high school. And then I was also the editor of the paper in college and, uh, wanted, I really wanted to be a journalist, but that was kind of like in the nineties, early two thousands when journalism was basically dying, you know, and kind of turning digital. And it was actually kind of this weird thing where like programmatic and journalism were kind of meshing and, you know, display ads were kind of meshing into the journalistic world where the only way they were going to get ad revenue was by running programmatic ads, basically, you know, kind of funny, honestly, even now that I look back. Um, but I, I actually worked during college the whole time, uh, for an e-commerce company called 1-800-CONTACTS. And I worked there for eight years. And so I felt like that was a really good way to get into advertising. Cause like I started as an administrative assistant. It gave me a bird's eye view into every single type of marketing. I mean, we were still running print at the time. Like 
you know, we were running print, email, paid search, affiliate, every type of marketing. We were running like brand lift studies. Oh, wow. You know, we were running every single type of advertising you could think of. And so it was like a really cool thing to start out my marketing career in that way. Cause I even worked in the type of, um, marketing where I could, uh, conversion rate advertising, you know, optimizing conversion rate on the site. And I worked with our developers and, you know, worked with agile methodology to make sure that everything that we were launching on the website, um, you know, was in two week project management, um, buckets. And it was just really good experience. Like as a 20 year old, to like learn marketing in that oh, way. Sure, yeah. um, and then I graduated college with my undergraduate degree and my VP at the time was an amazing mentor. He's like, choose what type of marketing you want to work in. He's like, you decide you've, you've been able to get a bird's eye view, Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, all of these different types of marketing. And so I was, I'm kind of a social butterfly. Like I am just kind of an extrovert. So I chose affiliate. <laughs> Yeah, I chose affiliate marketing because I was like in my 20s and affiliate marketing is like the party scene, right? Like we were going to Vegas to Affiliate Summit West and we were going to all these different conferences. And I was like, I'm in my 20s, like I want to live it up. And (laughs) we were managing 3,500 affiliates at 1-800-CONTACTS. Like it was crazy. Like And I would go to all these different affiliate conferences and just negotiate like coupon code placement on everyone's site. (laughs) You know what I mean? But it also was a lot of like policing. It was like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You have to were bidding on our trademark terms, you know? And it was like, I felt like I was like the advertising police all the time. (laughs) And so anyways, I worked on the, the affiliate side for a little while at an, an affiliate company that did credit card cash back, uh, for a while. And that was fun. Cause then I could work with all the clients on the other side mm-hmm. and negotiate cash back and all of that. Um, and then I was like, Hey, I kind of want to learn a different side of marketing. Mm-hmm. So then I went to Rakuten, um, <laughs> and, uh, would drop into programmatic too. <laughs> yeah, uh, full on. I, I had an affiliate background and they were like, yeah, the Salt Lake yeah. office was heavily display and social, and then yeah. affiliate was huge, but it was yeah. mainly like New yeah. York and Chicago. So, and yeah, Rakuten now owns Ebates, and so they rebranded Ebates into Rakuten. Mm. Um, so it's a big affiliate company, but at yeah. the time it was pretty programmatic focused, and so yes, mm-hmm. dropped me right into programmatic, and it was kind of like trial by fire, like Julianne said go get retargeted, you know, and then it was very much like learning tags. And it was, I mean, it was trial by fire. It was no new programmatic really at the time. Um, but we, we learned omni-channel marketing. Like Julianne said, we learned affiliate Mm -hmm. search programmatic. We learned how that all interacts in a multi-touch attribution system and where people should be putting their budgets with social as well. So it was, yeah. Awesome. The the common denominator here is that no matter how you land into this industry, you will have to learn pretty fast and a lot, like no yeah. matter what. And this learning does not stop. Like I still, you know, like I'd like to joke. I don't know when um, the podcast probably go live early June, right? But like in April, um, in April we have Shiv, we had Shiv Gupta and Miles Younger on in the community and they from you of digital and they were talking about connected tv and blah 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 and then he was talking referring to fast fast and i'm like what the wf is fast now we, we have avon xbox he's like yeah fast is um free ad uh supported tv and i'm like isn't that avod ad video on demand he's like well avod is you know <laughs> Avod is Prime or Netflix, right? There's like on demand only, but fast is like a YouTube live. <laughs> yeah. You're watching it. And I'm like, why do we need uh, another term? So many acronyms. Yeah. Like, There's so many acronyms. Right. And I've been in the industry for like 10 plus years. So there's never a dull moment. I think the beauty of 
asking this question about how you landed in the field is to give another perspective. Like it does not matter. There's no colleges out there that's going to teach you programmatic, at least not the way we learned on the job. Right. And that's well, your college. Saying. You yeah. have, you now have training. Yeah. Which and that's why. So nice. <laughs> yeah. Your why. training is so nice. Yeah, it's you're such a university. breath of fresh air. Yeah. The industry <laughs> has you. been needing that for a long time. And that's you know? one of the reasons why I did it. Because I remember like yeah. just, just short of five years ago, it was still a struggle to find easy education, independent education, I would say, right? Outside of a vendor, at least outside of the trade desk or the Google, which are really great right? But the Google education, you have to know that where to find that piece of education. So if you're mm -hmm. just wanting to work in marketing and you hear about advertising, you don't always think about going there to learn. <clears throat> so I love that. Question. Well, and you have to know that that is bias. Like the oh. Google training is probably bias. <laughs> so Google. I would recommend getting a third party training, like your training, which is not bias, right? Like Getting an off-platform training, which is not bias, is probably recommended. Yeah, and and I appreciate you saying that because that's one of the reasons why we did what we did. It's because the trade desk education is really great. The Google is really great. But again, it's very um, niche to specialize to the platform that you're going to yes. use. You know? It's still a very great way to learn, y'all. So if you're mm -hmm. listening, it's still a very great way to learn. But again, yeah. it's just like you need to understand like there is... Like, like the, like the Google or the traders will be like, we have the best platform. And I'm like, you have the best platform in these situations. Yes. And not these situations. <laughs> you <laughs> just have to know both. that like they're selling yeah. through their training, mm -hmm. their platforms. Right. Like, and so you have to like, like play devil's advocate a little bit yeah. while you're doing the training and know like, okay, well, they're definitely selling their platform while I'm doing yeah. this. And so it's nice to have like your training where it's like non-bias, mm -hmm. you know? And, you know, I appreciate that Jessica, because like Simplify has also like a training, but mm -hmm. the good part of the Simplify training is only available. It's not a paywall, but if you're a customer, right? Yeah. So if I'm a trader working in media math and I just want to learn about geofencing or yeah. addressable targeting, um, I can only get the free content from Simplify, but the mm -hmm. good stuff that I've at least I've taken is behind that, that paywall or that customer wall. And yeah. so that sucks, right? Like you, 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 you're limiting that potential person of, of greatness at this point, mm -hmm. which leads into the next, the next topic that I want to cover, which is the importance of <clears throat> partnering with like a boutique agency like yourself. Like we've heard of the big media agencies. Yeah, they're nice and sexy, but there's like a biggest, like there's a such a great benefit to working for a team like Above the Fold versus like going for a big media team. So to walk us through like, you know, what are maybe some client success story, but why, why would a brand or like a client want to work with a boutique, uh, like the benefit of working for a boutique programmatic agency like yours or a marketing agency like yours? Yeah. Yeah, I can, I can start there. Um, I think going through like big media companies, like Julianne and I have worked for, <laughs> we've worked for an international marketing agency, um, you know, and it, there's a lot of employees, right? Like there's a lot of employees. There's a lot of things going on. The benefit of working with Julianne and I is like, we both started in account management. Yeah. And I think that's like a really awesome strength for both of us because we really understand that the customer is number one. Like that's kind of how we built our company is like the customer is number one. That is always our goal. And so, um, it's, how we've built our company is like making sure that the customer is always taken care of in all facets of everything. And we're really focused on yeah. not having like a one size fits all for every client. Like every client has different goals. That's every right. client has different reporting systems and we take each client, like literally client by client, like, and each like each client's different reporting systems. And like when you use a really, really big media agency, I think sometimes you kind of get baked into what their processes are and it's just kind of like, okay, we're in their process. We're in their cog of the machine. 
And you you do risk working with really, um, new people that might not know the industry very well. I mean, we've worked in the industry for a really long time and we understand it really, really well. And so I think it's, that is the benefit of working Mm -hmm. with a boutique agency is like, you know, we really, really understand, um, the industry really well, and you just get really good customer service. You know, I love what you said about getting stuck into the big companies process because, okay, so we, we pitch, um, we pitch this brand a couple months ago and, um, we were one of the only boutique agency that presented. Well, there was another one actually, it was one of the two. And, uh, we asked them like, oh, what is something that other agencies have done that, you know, we're not your best, you know, you're not fan. And sh- they specifically recommended to talk to the team that was going to handle the account. Right. So for us as a boutique agency, it's like, <laughs> it's me and two other people yeah. and then yeah. one more social and maybe a reporting person. So it's max five people, but like mm-hmm. some of the, and, and this is not only this particular brand, we pitched a couple brands last year and they all said the same thing. They wanted to be able to connect with the team directly. And I'm like, isn't that it's so like such a given for me is like, it makes so much sense. Like, why not just have the people that are going to work with me on the call, right? On the meeting right away from day one. But when you, when you separate the departments, it can be shallow. Yeah. But at the same time, you are talking to the expert in business development, the expert in pre-sale, the expert in post-sales, right? Versus boutique agency is, and I love the word boutique, but boutique agency is just like, we are the expert for you. We understand you. We're like your, 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 you know, your right hand, basically when it comes to you, to your strategy, to representing you, representing Mm -hmm. the brand, we become the brand too. And I think that's like such a valuable skill or such a valuable thing to, to have from your partners, especially as a brand, as a global brand, like some of the brands you run, it's like, Mm -hmm. it's like non-negotiable for me at this point. Like, and that's the type of partners now we, we, we don't service brands directly anymore, but that's the type of partnership I only work for. Like, okay, can you specialize in something that I don't less, you know, less, let's go ahead and talk. And then how can we complement each other to, to represent this client? Um, Yeah. I think it's hard, like as you're growing and scaling, like, I mean, I heard one of your other podcasts, you know, I was listening to it last week and it's like, what's the benefit of separating out media buying from account management from, you know, creative and, you know, versus having the person knowing all of it. Mm -hmm. And, you know, when we, worked at a previous company, like everything was separated. Like the, um, media buyers were separate, the account managers were separate. And it was really hard as an account manager to be able to speak to the client and say like, here's the media buying optimizations that were made. Like it was really hard. Like, unless you had an insanely good relationship with the media buyers, I felt like it just didn't work to be honest. Like And so we've built our company in a way where we do the media buying and the account management. And it's just, it feels like it's just so much more like copacetic, like the communication is understood. We really understand the real time optimizations we're making. Um, and I just, it's just so much more seamless. And so I listened to that podcast and I was like, oh, I, I want to speak on this. Cause like, we really <laughs> believe in <laughs> us, yeah. we believe in us, like, oh yeah training on everything. And, yeah. and that's how we will with future employees too, because we've lived it and we've lived the separation and it just didn't flow very well for the client. And like I said, yeah. we put the client first and we experienced the client, not having a great experience yeah. with everything being separated. So, yeah. And like the, the positive of that again, is like, now you've built this really personal, like trustworthy relationship with your client because now you've pretty much touched on, on all and yes you still might need a, a trader you still might need like a salesperson separate but by mm-hmm. keeping like by by sharing some of this and then also I think some of the biggest companies that we're talking about have larger sales team and sometimes two to three of those salespeople show up in the meetings and then another two show up so yeah you have like 20 people <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> because half of no. them are only sales 
We've and then been you there. have the friend of the salesperson and it, is, it becomes like, are those people necessarily needed on this call? But yeah, <laughs> but one is specialized in selling for this industry. One is specialized in this technology. One is specialized in this, uh, this market. And I'm like, what can we combine some of that? Yeah. Um, but the, the positive, again, the benefit of having that set up the way they have is that you're building that specialty. You know, yeah. like I am specializing geofencing, addressable targeting, and I can talk to agencies about it like it's nobody's business. Yeah. Um, but but again, you you miss that, and and I do think that the model can work mm-hmm. if and only if internally you have the right process to break down that silo between the department. You know, like it has yeah. to be like, like you said, you, you don't know who was your media trader or rather you didn't talk to them as often. Like you gotta be able to talk to them and ask some questions. Communication yeah. has to be so good between the departments. And yeah. like, you that's not be- always the case. There's not. There's no, not yeah. It's, yeah, even like a client by client basis. I think one other thing that differenti- differentiates us as um, is that, you know, there's, I think a lot of our clients might not be the huge brands. We have some of those and they kind of like see programmatic as like a separate thing, but a lot of people, even like medium-sized companies, they, they think they, they're, they, they think digital advertising and they don't know like mm-hmm. the channels. They don't know the options. A lot of times yeah. they're thinking, you know, Facebook, Google. Or yeah. That. I was going to say Facebook you know, is digital advertising. I'm like, yeah. Yeah. So they're, they might already be doing that a little bit. It's not really working well or they, and, and it's, so we just, what we do is we try to have a really good conversation at the beginning and not really go into like solutions, but what is your goal? What are you already doing? And we map out the funnel and we say, okay, what types of, are you doing email marketing? What's the audience? And what we tend to see is that they're really missing a huge area of the funnel, usually at the top of the funnel. Right. Yeah. Usually, um, or they're, they think the only targeting available is very broad targeting. Cause that's where yeah. those platforms are going. And so we, we start out by really understanding all that, all the different pieces they have in the mix and what their audience is. And then it kind of starts speaking to itself, what their, mm-hmm. what the gaps are. Mm-hmm. And then we say, well, here's your goal is targeting this very specific granular person. Mm-hmm. And we start getting into the, the hyper-targeting you could do with programmatic by location, demographic behavior, and it just starts making sense. Mm-hmm. Whereas if we didn't do that process, it's a lot hard. And someone that's not specifically looking for programmatic, yeah. like it, it just, it helps. They, they really understand what it's going to do. And, um, and then we also, because of our backgrounds, we piece together all those pieces. So we help them see how what we're doing is lifting all their other channels. We want them to see growth overall. Mm-hmm. Um, so we, we, from the beginning, we try to educate on what they're going to see. Like you're going to see more people coming direct to your website because yeah. there's these ads. You're going to see more organic traffic. Your conversion rate on paid search is going to be higher for brand and you're going to have more brand searches. So we try to help them connect all that together yeah. and tell that story, which I think most people are like, don't do that. You know, they just don't have the time. Um, well, also we have to play the Google analytics game, yeah. right? <laughs> the dance. <laughs> I'm sure everybody knows that game. The, the last click versus whatever click metric model we are at this point. I'm sure yeah. there's a new acronym that I don't know about or that I know about. Okay. <laughs> now there's GA4. Yeah, GA4. Yeah, GA versus GA4. But we do find a lot of people are just spending way too much budget at the bottom of the funnel. Mm -hmm. And then they come to us, they're like, my company is not growing. It's like, well, you've got to find a happy medium in the budget that you're spending at the top and the middle of the funnel versus the bottom of the funnel. Like if you, know, you really want to grow your company, yeah, yeah. you've got to fill your funnel with new users that are within your customer persona yeah, that you I, can uh, then convert at the bottom of the funnel, right? I'm giggling because I had Mark Poirier. He's the CEO of uh, Clever um, Advertising and their agency trading desk. And he was talking about how uh, he loves talking to his clients about the funnel, right? Like, yeah. It's nice, like they want to focus on the the bottom of the funnel. It's very performance based or whatnot, but a funnel has a top and a bottom. 
It's just not the bottom. A funnel is top, medium, second, medium, even third, medium, bottom, 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 bottom. And I'm very small. (laughs) It's like that funnel has top to bottom and you have to remember to fund it. So I like, I like his analogy there. And I think it goes back to what you're saying. This is we can be as performance-based and programmatic is performance-based. Okay. It's not Mm -hmm. just awareness and reach to y'all. It's not just those sexy metrics. It's very, it can be very, very performance-based and you have to, to set it up in a way. And don't get me wrong. I mean, we're joking about GA versus GA4, but I mean, as much as I hate to admit this out loud in these streets, but clients have looked at GA as a main source or a trusted source of measurement for years before GO4 came, came about. Yeah. Um, so as marketers, you are going to have to get on board with this, unfortunately, um, for yeah. your client's sake, for your client's sake, you're not here against or with a particular partner, but you're here representing that client and that brand. And it's important that you become that advisor and that educator, like Julian said. Exactly. So, yeah. Like so often to get on it. Yeah. So often we, it's like, okay, that's your former measurement. We'll use it. We want you to also, so part of that, this is going to be measured by Lyft. Like ideally we can get them on a multi-touch attribution tool or something like that. We have some partners we refer to, but if, if they don't have that ability right then, I, a lot of times they don't understand what, how it's measured. Like it's not great with mobile, even GA4, you know, it's, it's not great at directing into the right funnel. So we say, okay, we'll look at it, but we're, we're also going to report on your direct lift. How many more yeah. people are coming organic? How many more people are coming through PPC? Yeah. And you're going to see overall growth and we'll report on our direct performance. Not only so, that, but we do a lot of education around yeah. Google and just how, Hey, like oh. Google built this platform around its system, right? Yep. Google, you know, it has an advertising ecosystem Mm -hmm. and it built a reporting platform around that to make that ecosystem look good, right? That's, that's a conflict of interest if you think about it. And yet marketers have been using this Mm -hmm. as their sole source of reporting since the (laughs) nineties. Like if I just want to encourage marketers to like, think about that for a minute. I know we're smart people. And so we always encourage marketers to at least consider a multi-touch attribution platform that is not owned by Google to look at the data, to have you filter in from outside sources, because Google in GA4 is now filtering in view from their systems, but nowhere else. So just like, think about that, right? Like we just challenge our clients to think about that. And because I just can still not believe that marketers still use it as the sole source of data. Yeah. Because it's, you know, like you said, Google made it easy. You just plugged in really well everywhere. Yeah. It's easy, which is great. I mean, but it's not great for for translated all these platform technology into one language. That's yeah, like, I see it more as like a website analytics platform. No, it is. Like, it's starting as a website. Yeah, I mean. it's just like, sure, how many, what are people doing on the site? What pages are they visiting? But exactly, but like, just not like, not where is it coming from? What's, yeah, what's happening? It's not great for growth, yeah. in my opinion. Yeah, it's, it's, it's <laughs> more like a post verification tool, like, oh, this is what happened now how do we move forward with it so i like the fact that you you're still using other partners with it and you know like to close the close the conversation before the closing segment leave us with like maybe what is something that happened i don't know this quarter for a client of yours and you're like oh my gosh this is so exciting we were able to do this for this client find this without revealing too much like secret sauce unless you do want to then that's fine we'll take it My favorite client success story is literally we worked with like a startup that had zero revenue. Like I'm not kidding. Okay. And helped (laughs) them scale Mm -hmm. to the point of hitting their revenue goals Uh using programmatic and other tactics. I mean, lower in the funnel tactics too. Yeah, right, right, right. (laughs) And, but it was mainly starting with programmatic. Like it's just a fun success story. 
um, and helping them find investors. Oh, that's yeah. nice. Like, yeah, we went so far as like putting an investor deck together for them, like showing oh. the group because we were managing all the, the advertising. So yeah. we're a partner, like we, our clients are our partners. We are invested with them as yeah. like adjunct team members. So that's the cool part of being a boutique agency is we can give that level of service, right? Like we helped a startup scale their business to the point of getting an investor yeah. and help them with the investment presentation. Right. And they got the investment and, and they got the investment. So, oh, cool. That is yeah. definitely a dope, dope. Story. And what is, what industry is this startup in? Um, they're in like the travel industry. Travel. Okay. Okay. That's really yeah. cool. That is. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. And in this environment, in this economic climate, I was gonna say, yeah. to get an investor this year, I feel like it's like almost impossible right now, but yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that's super I'm I'm really really happy for them and proud of them and and proud of our team for everything that we've done to to help yeah. them and it's just like probably my favorite success story of my career to be honest like oh, it's yeah, just that's really awesome. fun. and we're still in the middle of it they're still growing um, yeah one of mine is we've had some companies that one is a supplement company and they were mainly on Amazon um, it's an eye supplement so not anything crazy but. They're only on Amazon, really successful there and wanted to expand out um, and start really growing like their own website and, and getting sales from that. And so we, we came up with some really great strategies from like a B2B perspective. They wanted to get in front of eye doctors and ophthalmologists. And so we built on um, some address level targeting, geofencing, data segments, um, just a, a lot of things to test. And then on the B2C side, it's people that need like macular degeneration or eye health and, and like, you know, being able to see better on the screen. So yeah. there's all these different use cases for these supplements. And, um, and so not only are they seeing growth on their website, but, but we are also able to show lift on Amazon. So more people are looking for wow, them by name. There. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I do that all the time. I come across an yeah. ad, I'll click through and I'm like, let me find out if it's on Amazon so I don't have yeah, to. Yeah, I think more and more yeah, so people are doing that. So I don't have to enter my name, address and my credit cards. Amazon. Yeah, so it's kind of like we've we've shown the use case for, great, if you're going to be on, you probably need to be on Amazon, mostly in this like supplements and like a lot of consumer goods and stuff, right? Like, but it doesn't have to be the sole thing. You can diversify successfully, but it, it does kind of show how programmatic will drive people to yeah. a website, but they'll also yeah. go to Amazon. And if you're not looking at Lyft everywhere, you're going to miss it, you know? And, yeah. and, and uh, Amazon is still a great partner for some of those e-commerce, but also I want to clarify, like when I go back to look <laughs> on Amazon, I, I try to find that same exact brand. You know, I won't find yeah. like the Amazon choice. Uh, version of it because then I'm like ah that's not fair you know like, yeah they're already that's a, a big whole cut. other conversation yeah. on choice situation <laughs> I used to be the Amazon choice and then with everything happening in the in the news and I like I, I, I want to support the little guys and the, the small businesses yes I do if you see that them. brand in an ad yeah. go support that brand I love that don't Amazon choice it even if it's more no yeah, do that. Wait the three weeks like everybody else. <laughs> <laughs> Instead of two days. <laughs> That's a conversation. All right. So let's leave with like a word of wisdom here. Um, you dropped so many beautiful gems. We appreciate that. But um leave us ooh, before the word of wisdom, like talk about your TikTok. Like how <laughs> <laughs> Well, I think like anyone, we started doing it just because it was interesting. And we thought it'd be fun. Yeah, it is. Um, so, I mean, and it was kind of like a creative challenge. Like, let's start talking about programmatic in a way that's easy. Like if I can explain a concept like geofencing in 15 seconds. Yeah. You know, so, but it's also just been like, we've had a stressful day. Like, let's get, let's do that one TikTok trend, you know, we'll do a dance or <laughs> And we always, but it's, yeah, it's been great. I mean, we're just still getting started. We have like 2000 followers or almost nice. 3000. So <laughs> yeah, I think yeah. like we got so many questions of like what the H-E double hockey sticks is programmatic or other swear words, <laughs> you know, that we were like, okay, hey, we got to like find a fun, easy platform to like explain what programmatic is. 
So TikTok is perfect for that. We can just like joke around, be ourselves in like 15 seconds. You got to go back on their TikTok. It's a programmatic ads, right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So at programmatic ads, um, and it's super funny. And I think I remember coming across, um, explaining the difference between, no, I think also recently I came across a comment you left for this one guy who was just shitting on programmatic. He was like, this is why you shouldn't do programmatic. It's a bunch of data and you should keep it all into Google search or Google display network. And I'm like, what? (laughs) And so I was like, let me tell this guy. And I scrolled down and then Julian had very diplomatically explained it <laughs> and I was like yeah it's yeah, better <laughs> like he had one explanation for one agency he'd worked with that ran programmatic and he yeah. didn't like them. and it was the agency it was not programmatic like you wouldn't say oh google ads sucks because my agency didn't manage it good like <laughs> I was like well you know that's a decision by that that agency that's not programmatic advertising I was gonna go ham on the guy and then I saw you coming I was like okay this Jesus just saved him because that was really (laughs) and I was like why is there a cap on this comment reply reply." (laughs) it's like I was like that is so misleading and then I read other the rest of the comments and they were like yeah we only keep all of our or or spend into google and I'm like what And then I saw a comment that said, yeah, we have a lot of uh, great success with Facebook and Facebook's audience network. And I was like, you do what? You're complaining about transparency and you're claiming that Facebook audience network is the great thing? Yeah. yeah. It's like, have you seen the transparency you can get? I can show you top. Have you not heard them on the news? Oh like, my God. <laughs> the yes. Anywho, that's another person. And we're not, yeah. and we're not saying that programmatic is the best. We're saying that it complements, as it complements all of these other channels really well. And yeah. you will get bad apples if you're not working with the expert on there. Period. Mm-hmm. For sure. And it's like you should be educated. Like all marketers should be educated enough to know yeah. what to ask. Like know, like how it runs. What where to add show. What what kinds of optimizations can an agency make? And those are available through training. So, and that's one thing I love about like our background in account management is like, if people work with us, we try to teach them. Mm -hmm. It's not easy to learn programmatic. And a lot of people do come from a Google and Facebook background. And we are very understanding and empathetic towards that. And we say, we know you come from that. We've worked in that world too. We want to help you understand programmatic and how it can help you grow your business. You know, mm-hmm. it's yeah. not like those bottom of the funnel tactics, but it can help grow those bottom of the funnel tactics. Yeah. So we try to do it in a very empathetic yeah. and like, you know, learning way, you know? Yeah. I always tell everybody in the program, like if you cannot explain what you're doing to a five-year-old, you don't understand it enough. Matter of fact, that's one of the questions I always ask in the podcast. I forgot, but we're, we're going to leave with like a word of wisdom. Okay. So each of you answer this question. What is something you wish you knew when you first started that you may have, that you know now? Like, what would you tell your freshman self if you had to start over again? Hmm. I I would say like, it's more of just an entrepreneurship and like motherhood thing Mm -hmm. is just like making sure that you prioritize your time in an effective way and just really calendar yourself out effectively and just not overwork yourself, you know, just really try to take advantage of those eight hours in the day. Um, and not like, don't work evenings and weekends if you humanly possibly can, because like, honestly, a burnt out person isn't good for clients. It's not good for people you work with. It's not good for anybody. And so just like really time management kind of thing. I know this is like totally off topic of like programmatic, but I just, it's been something I've been working on lately is just like, you know, time management, just the habits that you have, like I know a lot of people in the programmatic world are burnt out. Like I've been working in this industry for a really long time. And so just, you know, calendaring yourself out, saying no, when you need to, you know, like let's all take care of ourselves. Cause I know there's a lot of people in this industry that aren't doing 
that's so good. That's so good. We didn't even get a chance to talk about work-life balance. So we'll just have to have them back on the podcast, obviously. <laughs> Time management, I think it's the hardest thing to learn because when I first started in my 20s, I like really wanted to over-deliver and worked all these long hours on the weekends and whatnot. But now mm-hmm. in my thirties, <laughs> I'm like, yeah, I'm gonna do six hours today. <laughs> well, and we've but gotta make time most, for our kids, you know. It's the most productive six hours I will ever spend. And I'm still gonna walk around, you know, do my thing, go get a, my glass of water downstairs because I work from home. And I'm still gonna go hug my kid if she comes in and say, like, "Mommy, stop working," and I'll be like, "All right, give me five minutes, child. Let me just email this person." But <laughs> time management is a good way of telling your mind, body, and soul that I love me, and mm-hmm. I need me to be great in order for me to perform greatly personally and professionally. Period. Because yeah. a burnt person, like you said, don't do no, not helpful for anybody, clients included, family included, the plants mm-hmm. included, right? So, yeah. <laughs> Julian, what would be no. your word of wisdom? Mm-hmm. Well, I think from like the business side, um, I think it took me a long time to see myself as like an expert. Mm-hmm. And even, and what I've learned is that just knowing a little bit of marketing and a little bit of programmatic, you can, what I love about working with clients is just a little bit of our expertise can change their whole business. Mm-hmm. And so if we talk about changing lives, like if there's a business owner and we like, that's, if you're able to give them just some strategic insight, you're actually changing their business and all the people that work there. So mm-hmm. we actually, you know, we're not saving lives here, but we can change them by just being like, you know, a source of good, being transparent, being um, like looking for clients that we, you can really help as a business owner. I mean, it, it can be very fulfilling mm-hmm. as well. Yeah, I think we mistake also like when we help, we expect things to give back to us, right? Because I helped you now, you're not need to do no. I think that's the worst way of thinking about helping and being a servant leader is that you're expecting something else in return. But if you operate with that mindset that you mentioned, Julian, that I'm helping because I'm actually a good person, (laughs) I'm not (laughs) expecting anything else, right, out of this conversation, but being myself. And myself is helping no matter what, no matter that check will be signed or no matter that deal will be closed. I'm just here to help. Like you attract so much more into your life, right? So and operate under that mindset. Yeah. And I just got a big lead yesterday from like a neighbor that I was chatting with at the mailbox. And a year later, he remembered that conversation and said, oh, I have, I remember what you told me. You gave me the tip and advice and I mentioned it to my VP of marketing and they want to talk with you yeah oh wow that says a lot about you it's like you were genuinely trying to help and it's funny I have a friend um I give her I give her three four years ago right she has she's an event planner and she was picking my brain about advertising and so she she said that I still remember when you told me uh that you only have three fucks to give a day (laughs) (laughs) in the background right they're not in the background your kids okay cool um so i told her okay you only have three fucks to give a day okay so which one of this issue is going to use your fucks and you can't borrow fucks you can't so if you go through your three fucks today that means the rest of your day you cannot get upset about things and then she said she still remembers that and she shares with everybody and Mm -hmm. i told her i told her now i don't i don't need a fuck i don't need to to remember my fucks because i don't need it anymore like i understand that if it's with outside of my control the only thing I can do is how I react to it. And it's not going to change me. Not right now. At least not right now. That is hilarious. I, I am totally <laughs> going to remember that. Yeah. Like you only three bucks a day. You cannot borrow it from nobody. You can give them away though, but you can't borrow it. <laughs> um, and she still remembers that. I was like, oh my gosh, we had this conversation like five years ago. She's like, I still operate. It's really like help my mental state and you have no idea because that's where we need to all be like Chad because Chad's is like that young white guy that doesn't that really is not afraid of asking the dumbest questions right that's not afraid of just putting himself out there and look ridiculous because he's so confident and so I told her like today we got to be like Chad a little bit more be overconfident because what we have within us is 
like it's it needs to be out we're we're not here just to be good or okay or average we're here to be great okay 100 i really so, love like, be like I really love that book, The Subtle Art of Not Giving a Fuck. Oh, yeah. Okay, <laughs> Remind so it's been bookmarked whatever. It, it's very hand in hand with that. It's it's <laughs> one of my favorite books. Yeah. Okay. I'm going to read it. It's been bookmarked for way too long at this point. I can't even <sighs> admit it out loud. But thank you so much for stopping on the podcast. I think it's a better way to, to leave us with like time management because it's self-care to you and saying no doesn't mean that you don't care. It just means that it's not the right time for you. And that's okay. And then of course, having the confidence, but also just being you and not being afraid to just help with no, with no expectation, with no intention, with no boundaries. I think that's something that's so, so, so valuable because when you put good out there, good will come back. Like, boom, strong good mm-hmm. belief. So Thank you, Jillian. Thank you, Jesse, for, for coming. If anybody wants to reach out to y'all, how can they do that outside of the programmatic ads on TikTok? <laughs> <laughs> um, so we, our website is getabovethefold.com. Um, we're pretty active on LinkedIn. Mm-hmm. And I'm Jessica Chase, comment MBA on LinkedIn. And yeah, I think I'm Julianne S. Martin, mm-hmm. comment MBA. <laughs> Maybe just Julianne Martin. So yeah. <laughs> So yeah, I, will, I will have both of your information in the show notes of the podcast or in the description of the YouTube video. And of course, if you're in your news or our newsletter, you'll have some of their information as well. Um, but get above the fold is amazing. Like I love, love, love them. I mean, just go check TikTok and you'll understand what I mean. <laughs> yeah, join the the programmatic ecosystem. Like there's not a lot on there except I think us two and Stackadab does a great job on TikTok. But oh, I yeah. Some great. of the platforms are on there, but yeah. yeah Let us know what you think of some of our like crazy TikToks because we don't get a lot of feedback and we we laugh about them, but we would love to know what other programmatic <laughs> people think of them. I try to remember to, to leave a comment when I'm only on there once a month, which I should be more often on there anyway. But when I'm on there and I always go back and check up like, what did I miss? Oh, this is so great. So I'll try to give more <laughs> comments, but they're great. I love it. I love it. It makes so much sense. <laughs> it just like lifts up some of this hard concept that we, we go through every day, but oh, good. thank you. Thank you. And then we'll have them back on the podcast because we have so much more to talk about. Okay. Great. Have a lovely day, ladies. Thank, Thank you, you for having us, Helene.